Good morning. Oh, praise the Lord. Seems like it's been two or three years since I've been here and been able to come and worship with you and gather and assemble together and worship our Lord and our King. How beautiful. How beautiful. He is, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> How glorious <laughs> he is, isn't he? Yes. How awesome <laughs> he is, isn't he? Yes. Can I tell you, there's no one, <laughs> no one like him. No one. And we get together together as his children To have this distinct privilege to meet together, assemble together, and lift up our voices together, and sing, and pray, and praise, and then to gather around the Word of God, and it be the centerpiece that points us to that majestic one, that holy one, that righteous one, that worshipful one, and to see who he is and to know him in an intimate way. Wow, it's so, so awesome, so, so great. So thank you, Brother Brian, for asking me, inviting me to come and to preach again. And thank you, Brother Trey, for leading us in worship and the ensemble and uh, such a privilege to be here. I bring you greetings from our associational office, and Miss Gail and I are doing well. Uh, we've had glitches of times we've come in contact with people who have tested positive, so we've had to temporarily quarantine and isolate ourselves for a few days, but neither of us um, have been uh, positive for the virus, and so we're very grateful for that, and we just bring you greetings from our association. Let me say to you, our, our associational office is doing well. I commend our Lord and Savior through you, your faithfulness, to continue to pray and to give and to show support to our association, and I am extremely thankful and grateful, so I say thank you. I love you. I love you and I appreciate uh, who you are and the role you take in our association as we associate together as 51 churches to be about kingdom work in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I want to ask one thing and we're going to jump right in the word. John chapter 1. Go ahead and be turning to the gospel of St. John chapter 1. While you're turning to John 1, um, I want to ask you to be in prayer at our associational meeting, I ask you to be in prayer for uh, adopting a people group somewhere in the United States that we can begin to pray for, that we can begin to build a relationship with, that we can begin to help in many different means. And I've been talking to uh, the North American Mission Board. I've been talking to the International Mission Board. And, and I will also be talking to them this next week, Miss Holly Intrican. Uh, is my contact person there. And we're just praying that God would reveal to us a people group that we can 
start ministering to as an association. And so would you pray with me about that? Just lift that request up to the Lord that He will reveal to us who that people group is and that we can be Christ to them. Amen. So, John chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand once more for the reading of God's Word. One verse, John 1, verse 14. Verse 14. I want to preach a message about He who became flesh. He who became flesh. John 1, verse 14. If you're there, say amen. Amen. This is the Word of our Lord. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Let's bow. Our Lord, our Savior, thank you, Jesus, as we come to you. We're humbled as we come before you, Lord, this morning. And Lord, as we open up the Holy Word of God and we reread this, this scripture, Lord. Oh, I pray. That as we gather together this morning, that we will be drawn near to you, Lord. And the the word of God would speak to our hearts today about how you became flesh. Lord, would you move in a special, supernatural, spectacular way? Lord, in the next few moments, Lord, would you, would you just open up heaven and pour out your Spirit, Lord, upon this place that, Lord, we will, we will learn of you. Maybe there's one here, Lord, this morning that's never known you. Maybe, Lord, I pray, maybe this morning, through the sovereign work of our Lord, through your Spirit and your Word, that you would quicken and make alive this one who's never known, that they'll know you. For those of us who do know you, Lord, may we all learn of you. Lord, long. For you, Lord, love you in an in a intimate, deeper way than we ever have. Would you do that for your glory and our good, Lord? I pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before we jump into this one verse of Scripture from John chapter 1, I want us to think a little bit about the word Christmas. 
When I mention that word, there are probably many different opinions, ideas, thoughts, definitions. That's probably running to and fro throughout this sanctuary. When we mention the word Christmas, it's been so commercialized and secularized that we've been brainwashed. Not just by a virus, but also by a term which has biblical roots and biblical meaning. But it can become so embedded in our society that it has no biblical, spiritual meaning. Yesterday afternoon, Tammy and I went to Natchitoches and on our way to see the Christmas lights and fireworks. If you've never been, it's quite a show. (laughs) But on our way there, we stopped at uh, Grayson's Barbecue in Clarence. And if you've never been there, you need to make it a point and go there. (gasps) But anyway, all right, spiritual matters. We... We, we, we got there and we sat down and, and we ordered, uh, I'm not going to tell you what, but we ordered and of course it was barbecue. And while we were waiting on our order, I heard someone come in, which we were blind to where they were fixing the, you know, the plates and the checkout register and all that. But I heard a gentleman walk in and he ordered a ham and got some other things to go. And as he was leaving, he said, Merry Christmas. And then he broke out singing, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right in the middle of Grayson's Barbecue. <laughs> and you know what? As much as it shocked me, and I was grieved in my heart. Because I'd been studying for the last couple of weeks this one verse about what Christmas is, period. And for someone to come in and say, Merry Christmas, Happy Worship of Christ, Christmas, Christ, the Divine Anointed One, Moss, Worship, Merry, happy, how does that go together? Be happy about worshiping the Christ, the divine anointed one, and Rudolph. Y'all not getting where I'm at. I need to get you up on the front porch with me. Do you understand what my thought is? It's an oxymoron. It doesn't go together. Jingle bells. I mean, whenever we even mention the word Christmas, and we, we say, well, I'm listening to Christmas music. <laughs> and we're listening to jingle bells. <gasps> Brothers and sisters, what does jingle bells have to do with Christ the Anointed One? Amen. What does Rudolph have to do Do y'all see what I'm trying to say to you? That we've allowed society to brainwash us. 
Let's get refocused. And we must do that in the authoritative word of God. Now I want you to hear me. I'm not against you singing Rudolph. I'll pat my foot with you. And we can have a jolly good time singing Rudolph. But it has zero zip to do with worshiping Christ. There's nothing wrong with Christmas trees and lights and gifts and all of that. But that's wood, hay, and stubble if it's nothing but of it and it itself. Are y'all with me? John, let me try to get you up on the porch with me where we can begin to sit down at the table. John is now, we're talking about the apostle. John, we're talking about the one who has been with Christ. The letter was not written before, the letter was written after. The gospel was written after. He's been with Christ. He's walked with Him. He's listened to Him. He's learned of Him. And now He's writing this gospel. And He introduces us to this one. He calls Him the eternal Word in chapter 1 verse 1. The divine one. The eternal one. And then He moves on. To the eternal word one, which leads to the creative one. Which then leads to the glorious one. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot comprehend or overcome it. The glorious one. Oh, then he moves into the majestic praise of the redemptive one. That he came unto his own. And his own received him not. But to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor the will of the flesh. Nor the will of man. But of God. The redemptive one. Oh do you see. The introduction that the Apostle John, who has been with Christ, the Divine One, the Eternal One, the Logos One, the Creative One, the Redemptive One. Now, we come to verse 14. If you've got that, then you're ready for verse 14. About 10 sermons yet before you get to verse 14. Because now he talks about the incarnate one. This divine, eternal, logos one who's glorious and creative and is redemptive is now the incarnate one. He has condescended as we were singing about Brother Trey. He stepped out of a place called heaven. 
And now he has come to be with us. Do you want to know what Christmas is about? Christmas is about verse 14. That is what Christmas is about. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me give you five distinctives. If we're going to understand how the Word became flesh... We'll see from this one verse what Christmas is all about. And the Word became flesh. That means the incarnate one. The word incarnate means one of a higher order. One of a different nature. He's one like no one else. That is what the Apostle John is saying about Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Logos became flesh. The Word unites with man. That's what the word incarnate means. Became or made. Whichever your translation may have, it points us to his pre existence. Don't you ever think, and it is taught by many with false doctrine who say that Jesus became whenever he was conceived and born from a virgin. No, he pre existed. There never time, never was a time that he did not exist. He is the eternal one. Amen. He became flesh means he pre-existed. Becoming man does not mean that the divine was changed into man. That is heresy. No, the divine became man means he never ceased to become fully God and then he became mankind. He took on flesh. John MacArthur says when the Word became flesh, it means that the infinite one became the finite one. The eternal one was conformed to time. The invisible one became visible. The supernatural one reduced himself to the natural. Jesus never ceased to be fully divine. It means the Logos, the Word, became so intimately United to Jesus Christ as one. It is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Behold, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. And you shall call His name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which is by interpretation from Matthew 1, God with us. 
My brothers and sisters, I want you to know, dearly beloved, that whenever we talk about Christmas, Christmas is about the Holy Son of God who is fully divine, who is eternal, who is the creative one, who is the glorious one, who is the redemptive one, took on flesh. Amen. Woo! I don't know about you. Boy, that fires me up when I start thinking about the incarnate one. That leads us to our second distinctive, and that is the dwelling one. Oh, look, now we're talking about the Apostle John here. Look what he says, not just the incarnate one, but look what he says in that second part of verse 14. And the word became flesh, and watch this, and dwelt among us. Let's, let's just think about this just for a moment. When he mentions the word dwelt, and dwelt among us, that word dwelt, oh, it's a rich word. It means to tabernacle. It means to tent. In other words, the Apostle John says, this glorious one, eternal one, divine one, this redemptive one, amen, has come and dwelt among us. He has come and tabernacled with us, amen. He has come and dwelled with us. Whoo! Well, that has a lot of Old Testament language in it. Because it reflects back to the wilderness account whenever the tabernacle was set up. Listen now, dearly beloved, when the tabernacle was set up and the Shekinah glory cloud of the Lord would dwell over them in their midst. In fact, they never did pull up the tabernacle and move until the Shekinah glory cloud of God moved. A pillar of cloud by day and a fire of cloud by night. And when the presence of God moved, they moved the tabernacle but now we find in the new covenant which is a much better covenant amen it is that the tabernacle has come to dwell among us amen oh he's come to be with us no one in the old testament doubted the presence of god as he dwelt among them How is it that you and I this morning could ever doubt the presence of the Holy One with us? No wonder Jesus said, it's expedient for you, it is necessary for you, it is for your good that I go unto the Father And I will send He, the Comforter, the Paraclete, to come alongside to be with you, to teach you, to guide you, to comfort you. Amen. Listen, how is it, my brothers and sisters, those who have been born again from above, how could we ever doubt the presence of the Holy God in our midst? This is what Christmas is about the Word became flesh, the incarnate one, and He dwelt among us. The dwelling one to tabernacle with them means John meant 
He ate with us. He drank with us. He resided with us. That New Testament meaning of that word dwelt means he became one of us as family. I wished we could grasp that. The Apostle John, in the meaning of that Greek word dwelt, means that he dwelt with us. He has come to reside with us as family. As family, he's come to dwell with us, to live with us, to reside with us. The Apostle John longed to be with the Lord. Even at the Lord's Supper. Do you know who leaned against the bosom of the Lord? I'll give you two guesses. I hope you chose John. The beloved disciple in whom Jesus loved is how he refers to himself. This is who he's saying he's come to reside with us, to dwell, tabernacle, to tent with us. Oh, brothers and sisters, just listen to this same apostle. Listen to what he says. That which was born, or that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen, and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested through us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. That's how this same apostle begins the first letter of 1 John. We have seen Him. We have handled Him. We have observed Him. We know that He is true, that He is real. That's who came and resided and dwelt among us. That is the personal testimony of John, the Apostle John, the dwelling one. Oh, but there's a third distinctive. Notice not only just the incarnate one and not just the dwelling one, but now... Oh boy, the glorious one. Look what he says. And we beheld his glory. Means they saw the proper nature of this holy God. This holy one, the son of God. And all scholars, there's no doubt. And all scholars agree that the apostle John is making reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. Turn back with me to Matthew 17. Let's just read that together. All right. Brother Brian told me I, I had an hour, and so y'all I, I, watch, get your clocks. Make sure I get through in an hour. No, he didn't tell me that, really. I, he didn't tell me that. Right. Matthew 17, look what he says here. Starting in verse 1. We're talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. 
This is no doubt. John is making reference to that about the glory one. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. Uh Uh-oh. One of you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased to hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell. On their faces. And were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle John, in speaking about the Word becoming flesh, the incarnate one, the dwelling one, now he says, the glorious one, we beheld his glory. Myself, Peter, and James, we beheld him. We saw him. In His fullness of glory. This word glory. It means the majestic one. It means the beautiful one. It means the one like none other. One of splendor. One of dignity. That's what this word glory Means no wonder they, they fell on their face because of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of this one, the Son of God said, we beheld His glory. No doubt, Apostle John is speaking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We beheld His glory. Think about that moment on the mount. Possibly, probably, Mount Hermon. Highest mount just north of Caesarea Philippi. And those three went with Jesus on that mount. And saw Jesus in His glorified state. And Moses and Elijah in their glorified state, for a brief moment, a brief moment, they saw heaven, the glory of the Son of God. No wonder he, the Apostle John speaks of Him as he does. So we see that these three distinctives, the incarnate one, The dwelling one, the glorious one, but then we come to the only begotten one, the fourth distinctive. Notice he says, the glory, the majestic one, 
the beautiful one, the awesome one, of the only begotten of the Father. Boy, this is so important. Only begotten expresses rank and character. And this title is given to no one but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Why, Brother Craig? Because there is none other. There's no one like Him. He is the one and only, amen, of that rank. He is the only one of that character. That's why He is seated in the heavenlies, amen. And no one is seated beside Him. The glory has of the only begotten of the Father. He is the one who is especially loved. He is the one and the only of God with this rank and with this character. That's the emphasis that John is placing here. He's giving a testimony about who the Son of God is. This one that became flesh. But then, I must close this fifth distinctive description that we have is the gracious one. Notice, my brothers and sisters, how he closes out this verse. He says, full of grace and truth. The gracious one. The doxology. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. He is the one who is full of grace and truth. What does he mean here when he says full of grace? That means he is the one who is full of favor. Unmerited favor. Unearned favor. Unworked for favor. Favor could also be I mean, grace could also be defined as an act of love. An act of the blessing of God. He is full of this love. He is full of His favor. Amen. No wonder we sing that song. Grace, grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Oh, we find that He is the gracious one. And He's full of of grace so much of the scripture speaks about grace for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created unto good works amen unto Christ Jesus grace is mentioned throughout the Word of God. And yet we find that the Apostle John says that he's full. That word full is a good word. It means sufficient. It means complete. It means full. It means whole. Maybe it would be better to understand it this way in Jonesboro. Lacks nothing. Cannot be added to. He's full of this grace. But notice he doesn't end with just grace. The conjunction and and truth. 
He's full of grace. And he's full of truth. What does he mean when he says full of truth? In him is no falsehood. He is not like the false shepherds. He's not like the false prophets. He's not like the false messiahs. Jesus is not an emblem. He's not a type of the old law, of the old covenant. No! He is truth. Amen. He's full of truth. Amen. No wonder this same John in chapter 14 quoted Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. He's full of truth. Amen. He is truth himself. That is the description that John gives us of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Craig, is is that what Christmas is about? Yes. If you would take each one of those distinctives and go home and study them between now and Christmas Day, and I'm sure your pastor, whom I love, will expound upon these before Christmas Day that we celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, the Son of God, who took on flesh. If you'll study these and then learn of them, you'll know what Christmas is about. I close with this illustration about Moses. Exodus 33, he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, Moses, I can't show you my face. No man can see the face of God and live. But this is what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And my glory will pass by and I'll let you see the hind parts or the after parts. And Moses got to see the hind parts or the after parts of the glory of God. And you know what he said? This is what Moses said. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy and is worthy of praise. Oh, that God would place us in the cleft of the rock. And that rock, I hope you know, in the New Testament picture, is none other than Jesus. Amen. Place us in the cleft of the rock, which is Jesus, and let us, let us see His glory, and let us know that He's worthy to be praised, that the Lord is full of glory and compassion and mercy. Amen. Oh, that we'd be excited this Christmas. Not about the tree and not anything wrong with a tree and bells and lights and fireworks and all that. 
that holds nothing in comparison to the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Can I ask you something this morning? Do you know this one? Do you know this incarnate one? The dwelling one? The glorious one, the only begotten one, the gracious one, my brothers and sisters. Do you know Him? Because if you don't, you cannot worship Him that you do not know. You'll find yourself worshiping a tree. Idolatry. Worshiping lights and bells and fireworks. Idolatry. If you don't know Christ, I invite you and welcome you. Seek Him. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek Him. Call upon Him. The Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us stand.